This is Real Estate Rookie Show Number 20. Okay, this is a problem. This is what I'm getting paid to do as an investor. We don't make those big paychecks because things are easy. We, we get paid because it's difficult. We solve problems. So kind of just fixing it, learning how to fix it, and then move on from there. I am Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia, who is feeling a little bit left out today because he is the only one without Ashley in their name. That's hilarious. So our guest today, Charlie Ashley, he's awesome. And he talks about a property that he calls the pit. You can only imagine why, right, Ashley? He talks about how much money and how many mistakes he made with this property and still came out on top on the other side of it. Yeah, he mentions that his main priority when he purchased this house was just getting a foundation in and getting the house onto the foundation. It's crazy because he talks about when he did the walkthrough that he like touched the wall and that it started like wobbling like paper. I'm like, man, that must it, that must have been a crazy, a crazy scene. Yeah, today's episode is great to listen to if you are using the Burr strategy, want to use it, or you're just doing any kind of rehab. He is completely honest with us and talks about the mistakes he made during this pit rehab. But yet here he is. He's still going on and he's looking for his next deal. Yeah, and one of the things that he talked about as well was, you know, finding his MVP and how he doesn't know what kind of value add he did to him, but he was just a genuine friend. And, you know, that created a great relationship. So there's some great nuggets in here, great topics to talk about. So make sure that you follow through to the end, because at the end, he also talks about where you can email him if you have any questions. Charlie was an awesome guest. We can't wait. So let's just go ahead and bring him out. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's welcome Charlie to the show. Charlie, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and where you live and what you're doing in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So start with where I grew up was Northern Virginia, Fairfax County. Where I am now is Lexington, Kentucky. And I figured it'd be kind of cool to just step through the major milestones I've had in my life that kind of brought me to, to where I am today. So starting in Northern Virginia, I had my first job when I was 16, crushing it, making $7 an hour. <laughs> We've all <laughs> been there. The glory days, huh? Those oh, are the good yeah. ones. Yeah. I remember calculating like, oh, if I work a full day, I'll have $52 and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I got into college when I was 18, Radford University. When I was 19, they kicked me out. And then I had to work extremely hard just for the opportunity to reapply and get back in, which, which I did. From there, I got hyper-involved on campus to make sure I could succeed and kind of have the support groups and everything help me out. Finished joining a fraternity, Phi Sigma Kappa. I was a campus tour guide, which is the best job I'll ever have ever, uh, including real estate. Sorry. <laughs> and then I finished with double major in computer science and psychology. So now I'm at 23, the most fun age. Then at 24, I was forced to buy the best deal I'll ever get in real estate. <laughs> you don't hear that often, forced to buy your best deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's did not definitely did not appreciate it at the time. But from there, at 27, I met the woman of my dreams, which brought me to Lexington. And she actually ended up being the, the catalyst to get me involved in real estate. So on our, our second date, she let me know she was leaving me. <laughs> To move to Cleveland. So from there, we had to navigate a long-term relationship. And then what got me into real estate was she moved from Cleveland and then to Lexington. We needed to close the distance. I was the one that had to move. So I had to figure out how to rent a house, which I had no idea how to do. So that brings me to 28, which started my real estate investing education. Then I bought my first dedicated rental at 29. And that brings us to today at 30 where I have five single family homes and very hungry for more. Congratulations. That's great to have five. So you started in two years, you got five of them then? Yeah. Well, the first one was in 2015, but over the past 12 months or so, May of 2019 is when I bought my first rental in Lexington. Wow, and from there, it's great. been one, two, three, four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and keep adding on after that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So Charlie, what, I mean, what happened? What did you find where you, I mean, what is the secret sauce there that you went from one and then you just added three or four more? I mean, you must've found a secret sauce, right? You read the right book. Someone gave you a bunch of money, right? Is that what it was? Little column A, little column B. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, definitely, I mean, on the education side, I dived in a hundred percent. I listened to every podcast. I started reading real estate specific books, but before that I'd so I read a lot of books to help me with my, my current day job, like the Dale Carnegie, How to Winfl Win Friends, Influence People has been a huge influence on me. There's another great one called The Lean Startup, which was a great one of those mind shift kind of books where it focuses on 
You don't have to be perfect. It just has to work. You learn from your mistakes and you just move on incrementally. So from the education side, did everything. On the money side, it's going back to that first deal and why I didn't appreciate it at the time is I could not afford it. The principal, insurance, taxes, um, interest, HOA fees, <laughs> utilities were going to be $1,800 a month. And as a new college graduate, my take home was $2,500 a month. And that's a terrible equation. So I had to figure out how to reduce my expenses, be frugal. And then on the other side, how do I get more income? So in the reducing expenses, very proud of the fact that I set a food budget for $5 a day and did it. Would oh not recommend God. it if Is you don't have to do it. Every day? <laughs> yeah. What did That's you good. eat for $5 a day? There's a, there's a great site called Budget Bites. And oh, it's exactly I love that. I what follow it, them on Instagram. Yeah. They're, they're so good. And she's so great. She breaks down the cost per ingredient yeah. for each, each thing. So it's a lot of pasta, a lot of casseroles, a lot of rice. You get your proteins <laughs> on sale, but it's doable. It's very doable. Yeah. Yeah. The Dave Ramsey beans and rice. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now that you've gotten this first deal, what, what made you, you said that your girlfriend got you into really getting started as a real estate investor. So what did that kind of look like? What did you do for your research? Right. So I, I knew I was 28 then I knew I needed to keep the house. Cause by then I, realize the benefit. It's appreciating. You get increased salary every year, a little bit, a little bit, but that mortgage does not change. That, that stays the same. So I knew I wanted to keep it. As part of affording it in the beginning, I rented out the second bedroom to a, a friend of mine, and then later his girlfriend, and then the 80-pound dog that she brought. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a little bit of experience self-managing from that, which made me realize I was terrible at it, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> so from there... Uh, and the other problem I needed to solve then was it was my dad's old house. He held that as a long-term rental from the 80s and was very much like, oh, we'll just band-aid that. There's like four different kinds of floors around the house. It needed to be updated. So just reading and going along, I knew, okay, to get the best rents, I need an updated place. How do I do a renovation? So I bought Jay Scott's books and read through those and started going through there. And then at the same time, I knew I would be a terrible manager, especially out of state for the property. So I started going through and looking through how do I hire a property manager? And I built this ridiculous, like 50 plus questions on a Google form that I started sending out to different property managers in the, in the area. And I definitely would feel bad about sending that out today, but it, <laughs> it helped me find the one that took the time. I'm sure she saw it and was like, this guy's ridiculous, but she took right. the time to do it. And she's been a fantastic property manager. So yeah, the fact that she took that initiative to go through your kind of interview process mm. where, you know, I'm sure they get a lot of people that call and ask those same questions. And really for me, I would rather someone just send me the Google form and I could fill it out right. anyways than, you know, going through a conversation and really have to thinking about those uh, answers on the spot. But yeah, that's very interesting that you did that. So looking back now, how what would you recommend to someone who's maybe looking to buy their first property out of college and house hack it like you did? And I, that wasn't really intentional for you to start with when you first purchased it, correct? You weren't looking to house hack it? 
Right. It was kind of out of necessity. (laughs) So what advice would you give someone who was out of college and kind of wants to go that route to get started? I'd say start small. Definitely start small. This first house for me was a 784 square foot, two bedroom, one bath condo. So you just have a lot less house to worry about. So start small is definitely the first thing. You also have, you know, smaller mortgage to worry about for the most part and, and less expenses on utilities. So I think that just gives you a lot of leeway to make a lot of mistakes, which I definitely did. <laughs> and even if you're looking to do the value add renovations, smaller house, it means less renovations, you know, instead of having to do 3000 square feet on a 1500 square foot, each side duplex, if you just buy a small condo, you know, you're replacing the floors and 700 square feet or instead of a huge kitchen or two kitchens, you just have one. So that's interesting, Charlie. And, you know, I want to butt in a little bit here because earlier you had said that you now have, you know, more rentals closer to five, but how are you funding these deals? Cause everyone's going to want to know, you know, how you, how you, how you funded all these deals. Cause everyone seems to get stuck at one or two. I have used, I think almost every money method out there. <laughs> so the first one was a, I bought it from my dad. So he did a, a quick claim deed and then did a cash out refinance mortgage. So that was my first kind of foray into learning what in the world is a mortgage and how does, how does that whole process work? The second one was used using a line of credit on the first property. So over the five years I owned it, it appreciated, took out a line of credit and then used that to put in cash, cash offers on small houses in the area. So I used that line of credit to purchase using cash. Then I did another cash out refi, got all my money back. The next one I did, it was really cheap. Use the line, same line of credit again after the refi. Then I refied that into a construction loan. And then the fourth one I used hard money and then refied that into a 30 year fix. It was a live and flip. And then the last one I did was uh, just a straight uh, commercial construction loan. So kind of, oh, I'm trying to go through and check all the boxes for, yeah, for financing. Yeah, there definitely is a mix. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't about... want to miss any any of the loan structures that you can do. <laughs> yeah. and I, I don't want to run over the line of credit method because I'm, I'm a big advocate of that, of putting a line of credit on a rental property or you know that's got enough equity to be able to use it as cash offers on the next property and then refinancing that property. And this is the reason I'm such a big advocate. Last night, I was also looking at my properties and some of the best deals that I've gotten has been when we offer cash. So let's say that you can get $10,000 off of a, off a purchase price because you're offering cash, you know, that's automatic $10,000 in your pocket because you know you're going to refinance later, pay off the line of credit, and then do it again. But my question to you is interesting, Charlie, because you said you refied and then you got a construction loan. Can you dig into that a little bit? Yes. I love construction loans. I think they're amazing. So the reason I did the construction loan was out of necessity. I did not have enough cash or line of credit to finish this renovation. This house is what I lovingly refer to as the pit. Uh, When I bought it, it had no foundation, no subfloors. It was held up by a few wood beams. It needed everything. And I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the renovation. So I was able to buy it for cash because it was extremely cheap. But the renovation ended up being a six-figure renovation. Wow. So what 
ended up doing, uh, which I learned from a friend of mine, is like, oh, just get a construction loan. So I reached out to the bank. I refinanced the first rental in Lexington with, oh, I reached out to about a dozen banks, but they had the best, <laughs> the best terms and everything. And essentially what, it, what they said they'll do is they will finance 80% of your purchase plus renovation costs. And kind of a gray area I figured out is for my bank anyways, I get to tell them what my renovation costs are. So if I think my renovation costs are going to be $25,000, I might just tell them it's going to be $40,000. And as long as the math still works out on their end, it allows me to finance that little bit more. But it all kind of comes down to that purchase price renovations. One of the biggest benefits, I think, of the construction loan is they do an as-is and a subject-to-appraisal. So I did it a little backwards where I closed and then did the construction loan. But the current property I'm working on now, I just straight out did a construction loan. And where the advantage of that subject-to-appraisal comes in is, in this case, before I close on the property, I have my appraisal. I know exactly what it's going to appraise out, appraise that after, to give me that confidence to back my numbers up and go into the deal and, and, and go with it. That's very interesting. Um, I've never done a construction loan before. Felipe, have you? I haven't, but I'm yeah. interested. So I'm, I'm excited to hear more about that. Okay. Yeah. And I want to touch on something first, how you seem to, when you need something, you reach out to multiple people. You just don't reach out to one bank. You don't reach out to one property manager. Is this a, a common theme even with your contractors too? Absolutely. Yeah. And then with the construction loan, do you have to prove and show who your contractors are? Like I did a construction loan for my house for myself, but that was like very different than doing it for an investment property. It was like a build. There was no existing value to it at mm-hmm. all. But do you have to, because when we did it, we had to show who our contractor would be. It had to be approved by the bank. Did you have to go through any kind of process like that? Or could you have done all the work yourself and not even be a licensed contractor? Yeah, that's definitely something I asked all the banks I reached out to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every bank is different. The one I went with made the process very easy. I've heard, uh, I know there's those, I forget, it's one of those, uh, I think it's one of those VA loan products where it's a total pain in the butt because you have to go through all those things you just said. You have to verify the Mm -hmm. contractors. They have to verify the work then you have to pay them and they reimburse it. The bank I ended up going with were very flexible. They just said, send us your budget, line item by line item, and you do what you got to do. If you're going to do the work, you do it. <laughs> you figure out how the contractors, they had no interest in that. Yeah. They just wanted to show like, here's the budget. Does it work with our numbers? You're taking the risk, you go for it. But yeah, it was a very simple process. And then to do the, the draws, they charge a fee for my bank it's 75 bucks so i'll say hey amy it's my loan officer so like hey amy um i finished the the kitchen and both the bathrooms and the floors i want to draw for twelve thousand dollars can you come out and check it out so do that they have their checklist to go check 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 and then they approve it and then transfer the money in i think it's amazing how many different options there are for different banks Like a lot of, you know, it's not just this criteria and every bank has the same thing. There's so many banks out there that are flexible and have different products. So I love that you reached out to so many banks for, you know, these different 
types of loans. I mean, just look at how many different creative ways of financing you have on your properties. And the one I, I want to go back to, because I'm still thinking about it, is when you you mentioned your dad purchased your first property and then did a quick claim deed to you and you did a cash out refinance mm-hmm. and then you paid him for the property. Can you kind of explain that process and explain to everyone what a quick claim deed is too? Yes. So my understanding, it's been a little while and I've only done one, but my understanding of a quit claim deed is you just say it. This is not my property anymore. Yeah. And when you sign the dotted line. <laughs> so there's no survey. There's no really title search sometimes, right? And then you just kind of sign it over to someone and yeah, yeah, sometimes for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like when a, if you're about a car when you you have the title you just sign right, on there. Sign the back, it's the, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah. So then, how did that work with your dad? And so you had said before he kind of you were forced. Did your dad force you to, <laughs> to buy this property? Then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he let me know that it's like, hey, when you graduate college, this is the plan. And yeah. he understood at the time that I'd get I was getting it at a discount which I did not appreciate at the time at all. Now, very much appreciate it. Yeah. But, and he was looking for, he just wanted enough cash from the deal to pay off the mortgage of the house he was living in with my mom. So that was his goal. He wanted, he didn't want to manage it as a rental anymore because he was self-managing that whole 30 plus year period. He didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't want to worry about his mortgage where him and my mom were anymore. And he wanted to, to help me as I, you know, launch into the yeah. my professional career. Um, Charlie, you know, I want to dig into earlier, you you said something funny. You said the pit. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's what you, that's what we're going to talk about in the rookie deal today. So is, is that, is that the one we're going to talk about? Is that, is that the pit? Cause I want to hear about that one. It's too much fun not to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. So tell us about the pit. Tell us, you know, from start to finish, and uh, once you're done, what we'll do is we'll kind of dig into more of the story, but give us everything, the nuts and bolts. Tell us how it happened. This is a uh, buckle up. All right. Oh, so, we, <laughs> so I found the deal from a couple agent friends of mine who are also investors. They bought it as a flip. They wanted to get out of it because they were buying an apartment building. So I was like, okay, let's check it out. So on the walkthrough, I, I knew they had gutted it and done a lot of work on it from, from talking to them before but I didn't really understand just how much they've, they've done. So the house was built in 1900. And if you guys have worked in old houses, you know, once you peel back those layers, there's a lot that comes to light. So they peeled back every layer to, to, to the ground. So when I walked in there, we walked in, floor in the beginning is there, but after a few feet, it just goes away. So there's no foundation, there's no footers, there's no framing nothing. The house was propped up by, by three beams. Oh my and my, my buddy was like, yeah, you know, we did some work on it. And he pushed against the exterior wall and it flapped like a piece of paper. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we're inside the house. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So then we go to the backyard and there's yards and yards of dirt back there. And they had to dig out a subfloor because over all the time, the subfloor just filled out. So these guys had to dig out by hand all that dirt and put it in the backyard. And as we're going in the backyard, one of the neighbors comes out and she's like, are you guys going to finish this house? What's going on? You know, you got to watch out for those neighbors. Turns out the other neighbors were into some illicit activities. 
and breaking into the property to do illicit activities and all this other stuff. There's, there's a lot more to unpack with those guys, but yeah, that's that's where it started. And I, at at the time I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. Um, I want to jump into this. Let's do it. So (laughs) tell us what happened next with that. I mean, did you end up buying the property? Kind of walk us through what happens next. Tell us the good stuff. Yeah. So from there, negotiation, they wanted 45. I said 40. We met in the middle. Uh, so for 42.5 was the purchase price. From there, I started to kind of freak out because I, I was really excited. I was really excited to, to jump into this. I knew it was going to be tough. I knew it was going to be a huge learning experience, but I was, I was ready to go. So from there, I didn't find contractors. I reached out to probably a dozen general contractors. None of them panned out. I called one. And they said, yeah, it'll probably be about $200,000 to fix up the house. <sighs> and for perspective, this is a 880 square foot, one, one floor. And the subject to appraisal came out at 137. <sighs> so I was like, oh, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> but from there, uh, through the people I actually bought it from, those two agent investors, they hooked me up with their whole network of contractors, which was fantastic because they've been very active for years and years and years. They've done a lot of flips before. They've done renovations of apartment complexes. They've done all this great stuff. And they handed me like this golden notebook of the best, most reasonable contractors in town. So from there, it was using that list. And I still had to call a lot of other people because some some things didn't work out. I had to try and save money where I could. So like for the drywallers, I called five. For the floors, I called a bunch of guys. For the, the granites, I counted, I called like six or seven places. So I used the referrals, but still made sure to do my own diligence and try and expand my network too. And I, I found a few good, good contractors there as well. Now, did they offer these resources to you or did you ask? Oh, I definitely asked. I, yeah. I like, yeah. And Dave. I think that's a, a great tip <laughs> right there is ask the sellers, especially if they're an investor themselves you know, ask who, who they use. And did they have a lot of other properties in the area too then? They've cut back a lot. I know they yeah. have a 12 unit. They have a four unit. They have a 12 unit. And I think they bought a 30 plus unit. But they have experience. Was... So, <laughs> right. That's right. the thing. If you're, right. you're buying from someone that has experience doing this, why not try and tap into to their network and use some of those people? So let's talk about, okay, you've got the property under contract now. How did it go hiring those contractors? And do you have a system in place uh, for hiring contractors? Do you use any kind of software to manage them? Uh, do you have contract scope of works? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I use every, it was definitely a work in progress. I love using Google Docs. It's just so easy and you just do like, who doesn't use spreadsheets? Yeah. So <laughs> to kind of build that, statement of work. I mean, for this place, I think one thing I learned on this is you don't have to do everything. You're not going to have your complete scope of work at the start, even on a, a really simple project. I mean, things come up, things change, you need to adjust. So for this project, I had a very immediate need to build a foundation and lower the house back down. <laughs> so that's <laughs> all I cared about at the time. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I started. And for that one, I, I just had to get it done. I just met the contractor they referred me to. He gave me a quote. It was extremely reasonable. So I was like, let's, let's just go for it. Let's do it. And 
kind of looked out because he turned out to be an absolutely incredible contractor and I've used them on every deal since then. Uh, but for that, it was just a referral from an experienced investor, mm-hmm. met him to fulfill this most immediate need, and then just went from there. So Charlie, you got it under contract. You got the first steps going on. Did you talk about how you financed this deal? Yes, this one was, the purchase was through the line of credit. And then- Oh, this was the one with the line of credit. Got it. Okay, I'm following. Mm. I'm following. Awesome. Okay. So obviously everything went super smooth. You made no mistakes. It was easy to do it. I mean, you finished it. It was, I mean, you didn't even get out of bed after till, I mean, it was easy, right? There was no complaints. No, this project almost broke me. Honestly, <laughs> it was like, All right, how so long there did this we project go. take? It actually just finished. Yeah, I, wow. I, bought, I bought this September of 2019. Yeah, and it, it launched as an Airbnb two weeks ago. Oh, cool! It was almost nine months. Yeah, Charlie. So, so talk about some of the mistakes that you had, or I don't want to call it mistakes, but some of the learning oh, lessons. Mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's call them learning lessons. That you went through while doing this this big project. So I, I looked out on the first contractor. He turned out to be amazing, and he as a, as a general contractor, general contractor, he, he can do it all and has a network of subs users, which are all really great. But to save money, I tried to sub stuff, sub some things out on my own. And where things went bad, where some I'd say half was contractors and half was me learning how to do an extensive renovation like that. So I'll start with some of the mistakes I made. One of the things I needed to do was the rough-ins for the plumbing and the electric. So I called a bunch of plumbers. It was extremely difficult to find one. I got one and he came out and did the rough-in. It was just very messy. You know, kind of not the greatest job, left a very messy job site. And it was the same story with the electrician. He came out. It took a year. It took like a week for him to... Like, oh, yeah, I'll come out this week. And then it was three weeks later. And it's like, oh, oh, still isn't done. Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't do the best work. But for me, the lessons learned there were write stuff down. For these guys, I just had text mm-hmm. message deals saying like, oh, yeah, I'll do it for this. Not very good. Um, uh, I didn't follow up daily. Like when they said, I'll do it on Tuesday. Now I'll call on Monday and Sunday and say, you're still good for Tuesday. You're still good for Tuesday. Just real quick 30-second conversations or just a text to confirm everything's good. And if things aren't going well, adjusting away from them, just cutting ties, which I didn't do. I went through the whole pain of (laughs) those guys go through. You know, Charlie, it's interesting because if you know my story on the OG Bigger Pocket show... Uh, episode 329, I talk about how I worked on the construction side, but all I did was clean. Like that's, I, I never learned to trade. I wasn't really good at a bunch of stuff, but I do, I do remember talking to the builders and I would ask them, you know, you clean this property a lot. You, I mean, you, you, you spend a lot of money on cleaning it. And he, you know, I, I won't forget what he said. He was like, you know, the reason we clean it so much isn't necessarily because the buyers are going to come look. It's more because the contractors that are there see a clean place. They're going to make clean work. And it made sense because they weren't just throwing their food around or throwing their bottles around. I mean, they saw a clean place. They didn't want to be the one to drop the Coke bottle or whatever. And then the same thing with their work, right? They were being just more diligent. So I, you know, I think that plays into some of what you were talking about of, you know, making sure that the, the site is clean is just really important, especially during, you know, constructions and things like that. 
Another thing that you said was one of the lessons you just said you learned was the follow-up calls. I think are very important. Call them two or three nights before, just double, triple checking. Be the squeaky wheel, you know, just to make sure that they're going to... Because contractors have two or three jobs going at one time. And, and, and it's not like they're overpricing one or the other. It's just who's going to be the squeaky wheel to call them and, and kind of keep them accountable for what they said. So that's, that's really interesting uh, lessons that you learned. What about financial lessons that you learned during this build? Was there any, any, any there? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> my budget is a joke. Looking back on it, it, it's laughable. Like I didn't budget any line, line item for unknowns, just none. Huge renovation. I had nothing for unknowns. And another thing I look back on, you know, I think, what in the world was I thinking? I had no budget to finish the bathrooms. Just none. Wow. <laughs> so, Are you talking like the toilet, the flooring, the vanity, all of that? Or yeah, just no. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no bathroom line item. <laughs> I got a four bedroom house. No bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it was. I mean, it's laughable now, but now it's, it, it gave me a lot of perspective and I did every, I had to do everything. It was essentially, it was almost more difficult than building a spec house or a brand new, brand new house. But yeah. And just the other thing that was really great to learn about was since I had nothing about those unknowns was how to work through them. I, at the beginning I, I was in my investing career, I would get very frustrated at uh, myself and my contractors, which was not the right way to do things, but it's like, oh, like, how did I not see this? I feel so dumb. Or why didn't my, I get mad at the contractor? Why didn't they tell me this was going to happen? Like, why did they should know all these things? But I kind of had a mindset shift later on that was, okay, this is the problem. This is what I'm getting paid to do as an investor. We don't make those big paychecks because things are easy. We, if it was easy, someone else would do it. Would do it. We get paid because it's difficult. We solve problems. So kind of just taking a step back, relaxing, Treating it, treating it as a learning experience and then fixing it, learning how to fix it and then move on from there. You talked a little bit about why didn't the contractor tell you to do this or something like that. What about the code for the building? Was there anything, any mistakes made there that you didn't know that wasn't up to code or that you needed to do that? Yes, I learned a lot about fire code. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, these these are really uh, these houses were built in 1900. They're extremely old. The one neighbor on the left side, it's like less than it's 12 inches or 18 inches between the houses. It's ridiculous. I really don't know how the guys got in there to do the siding, but they did. Yeah. My painter couldn't get back there. <laughs> so there's like this one hidden <laughs> bare spot, but the houses are very close together, and what I learned when they came to do the framing inspection was you need a firewall for that, for mm -hmm. if the properties are that close together. So you have to have a one hour rated firewall, which means if there's a bonfire next to your house, it has to take an hour for it to, to burn through that drywall. Yeah. So I'm going along, I'm trying to do everything I can. I uh, put all the siding up. It costs a lot. It's like $7,000 for the labor material for the siding. And then they come up for the inspection. They go, you have no, you're supposed to put five eighths inch drywall on the outside of the house, but you put the siding up before. <laughs> so I'm panicking. I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is going to cost me all this money to redo it. But it turns out you can go on the inside between the studs. You can put that five eighths inch drywall, mm. which if you've seen the studs of a house, you know, it's, you know, 16 inches stud to stud to stud. Mm all the way around so I had to pay guys to 
get the drywall and then cut every piece and oh fit God. and everything. And that was a $2,000 mistake. They had to wow. do all that and then do the fireproof caulking and stuff. It was, it was a, a kick to the gut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much did the renovation end up costing and how was that different than what you thought it was going to cost? My initial budget I sent to the bank for the construction loan was $77,000. At the end of the day, it was $105,000. And did you say before the ARV was 137? Yeah. Yeah. I failed on this one. Yeah. Yeah, ARV (laughs) was 137 and I'm all in for, for 150. Yeah. One of the good things about being so bad at a renovation is it took so long is that the neighborhood continued to move up and up and up. It's in a up and coming area. And where I was on the other, the street across from me, there was like five flips going on at once. And then as this was going on, the house two doors down was bought as a flip and working on that. So as time went on, I got better and better comps. So it was 137 almost a year ago. I'm sure I might might be break even now. But then my original strategy was to flip it, but that didn't work. So I had to adjust from there and said, can I make it a long-term rental? And it would have rented for 900 a month. I said, that's not going to work. So I kind of went to my last exit strategy, which was an Airbnb. So it's uh, you know, time turns a bad deal into a good deal. So that's my, my hope for this one. Yeah, that's good because, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, jump in, get started, do something, take action. Don't get stuck because time is either working for you or against you. And clearly it sounds like you couldn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't out even win time. You know, time is going to allow your property to appreciate and value um, so the quicker you get started, you know, the quicker you're growing that equity, especially even if you're making the mistakes that you just talked about, not having the bath budget with the firewalls and and so forth and so on. Equity in the property is still growing because others around you are also growing their property. So it's it, it's a great testimony to look, get started. Even if you're going to make some mistakes, that's okay because you're going to learn from them and your property is still going to grow in value. And that's very, very important. So uh, I think that's awesome. Now, the things that you learned from this property, is it things that you're now uh, adjusting in, in, in new deals, in new things? I mean, what lessons did, would you say that you've learned in mistakes and what are you doing different now? Yeah, so I think the current property I'm working on is a perfect example of applying all the lessons learned from my previous mistakes. So, I mean, just knowing how much things cost now from having to go through literally every item you can go through, every component of building a house, it's, it's pretty, I have a really much better idea of what things are going to cost. I know how to add a line for a bathroom now. (laughs) (laughs) And then accounting for those unknowns. So my current project, there's a number of unknowns there. It's one of those 1.4 stories. So the second story is a really small, those angled roofs and everything. And when I toured the property, it felt fine. When I went back after closing, I said, oh man, it is 95 degrees up here. <laughs> and it turns out there is no insulation in that in the roof where the ceiling is through. There's no insulation there. So I had to figure that out. I had to get a mini split, which I'd never done before. Um, in the guest bathroom, there was an old surround that the workers broke. They put a hole in it. So I said, okay, well, I got to get a new surround. And when they took it off, it turned out the board behind it was completely rotten. And then... <laughs> the rough-in valve was broken. It was just 
broken. But I think my, the big thing is my mindset. I go over there, I see these things now, and I just go, okay, I know how to fix this now. I know this isn't the end of the world. I, I budgeted for this. I didn't know about it before, but I, this isn't going to kill me. This isn't going to make me upset. You know, I can learn from here and just and keep going with the project. You didn't let that stop you. You said it yourself that this wasn't really a winner for you. You went yeah. over budget, <laughs> but you're still going. You have another deal already, and that's great. And I love it that you're taking it as a lesson learned. And I mean, you've told us a million things that you've learned and you're using for your next project and going forward. And then you're just more of a powerhouse now. Let's talk about uh, the, the money available to you when you started this project, because I think a fear for some people is running out of money. Like if you do go over budget, what happens then? Where do you get the money from? Do you have a, a certain amount of reserves or money left on your line of credit that is there when you do these projects, just in case you do go over? It's a good question. I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday when you guys talked about your reserves and I was I was in the car. I was thinking, yeah. I was like, oh man, I hope they don't ask me this because I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, what I did leading up to this project, I knew it was going to be a lot. So I, I still have my W2 job. I still work full time every day, which essentially up to a point is kind of like a blank check for financing. It is so easy to open more and more lines of credit. So I just did everything I could. So I had my original line of credit from my first house that as a cash flowing rental, I had a, my first one in Lexington, which was a really small one cash flowing. Um, I looked at my credit cards which I would not recommend doing credit cards, but I just wanted to know it was available. So I asked, I called my bank and they said, I said, can I increase the line of credit, my credit card for a cash advance? And they said, how much would you like? I said, what's the most you can do? Just do the max. Yeah. So I did those. And then I got a checking line of credit, which, which is another thing I didn't know existed. You just ask, what can I do? And I know there's like personal lines of credit, which I haven't done yet, but I'm still looking into and then on my live and flip I did, I found a bank, another bank that'll do 100% loan of value, second position line of credit, which is amazing. And that just closed last Friday. And I'm using essentially all of that to fund this kind of current deal. So just, and then like Home Depot credit card, Lowe's credit card, they have 0% interest over all these time periods. They send you emails all the time, which is fantastic until you that promo period runs out and you have to pay it and then you kind of figure it out from there. But in short, yeah, I just opened and explored every possible line of credit I could, could, could get. And then on the other side, you know, just keep my expenses low, cash flowing for my job, making sure I'm saving more and more each month. So. so you're not only, you know, getting creative financing for the purchase and the refinance, but even how you're doing the rehabs. And actually, I just started doing 0% credit cards. I have one now for 18 months, 0%. And that's how we're buying all of the materials for the project. And that's just, you know, leaving more money available to us on our line of credit. And I hope this does not happen. But if for some reason, <laughs> 18 months comes up, and we are still in rehab and haven't refinanced. I can use my line of credit to pay that off instead of paying, you know, the 23% interest rate on the credit card. But right. yeah, I've just started learning about different ways to kind of pay for that rehab without paying cash, I guess. Right. And and for, I mean, for those, those uh, pr promo periods, you have 12, yeah. six months, even six months, six months, 12 months, yeah. 18 months for using it as a, for an investment property, just bank your cash flow. 
if you bank your cash flow for right. 18 months, you'll, you know, no problem. Yeah. If you got a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love what, what you were saying, Charlie, about using your line of credits, using your credit cards as leverage, making sure you have long-term <clears throat> debt for those so that you can finish a project without the, you know, there's, there's a headache almost like, oh my gosh, I got to pay premiums on that. And I got to pay, you know, extra interest on this. But if you have those credit cards that allow you to, you know, 18 months worth of no interest, then, then it's great. But uh, with the line of credit that I, that I use, I love what you said earlier about the process of refinancing, pay it off, do it again, refinance, use it again over. And that's how you use the same hundred dollars in quotations over and over and over again, right? I mean, you're building a massive portfolio with that same line of credit over and over and over again. Charlie, what's next down the pipeline for you? Like, what does it look like going forward? Still looking for deals. Uh, I went to see a, a house. Man, when I rolled up to this place, I was like, oh, this is going to be the pit all over again. The uh, You could roll a square down this house. That's how wonky the, the foundation was. So on my list of things to do today is to put an offer on that. But so just looking for single family homes, uh, I'd like to get into larger and larger homes. I think there's a lot of interest in my area for, you know, those three twos, two ones, two twos, up, you know, 800 to 1200 square foot houses under $200,000. It's extremely competitive. So I think once you get kind of get over that hump, over that larger price point, there's a lot more money to be made there. Um, so I'm just, that's what I'd like to do. I also kind of need to do a flip to just get some more cash in my pocket so I can kind of keep going. That's one thing I haven't done yet is to do a actually sell, sell one. So looking for just the next deal, the next rental, the next thing that's going to push me out of my comfort zone to, to learn more from. I'm really excited just listening to you talk and, you know, some people will be listening to this and can't see your facial expressions, but <laughs> I could just tell you're just like, I'm going to do it. There's, you know, no but about it. Like, this is what's going to happen. This is my plan and this is where I'm going. So it'll be awesome to see uh, how your next deal goes and especially a flip too that hopefully has a, a bathroom. In it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's but, too much work. Like it's yeah. too much to learn to quit after one. You got to keep right, like right, I did yeah. so much. I'm going to keep using it. Yeah, you learned all this information. You got to put it to use. Let's move on to our next segment. This is where we want to learn about someone who is a key player in your investment business who has really helped you uh, grow your real estate portfolio. We call this segment the... MVP. 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 Yes. MVP. Yeah. <laughs> this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. So who is the most valuable player to you right now in your real estate business? It's my friend, Dane. Uh, He's awesome. When I moved to Kentucky in January of 2019, I joined a local closed real estate investors Facebook group, which is fantastic. I think there's a lot of groups out there that are just spammy and salesy. This is people helping people, which is great. So I wanted to get involved and meet people, follow the advice from these great podcasts and throw myself out there. So I put on a post. I said, Hey, I'm new to the area. I'd love to put together statements that work for you so you don't have to. Here's what I did before. I'll, I just want to go on the walkthrough, kind of pick your brain, learn from you, take this tedious task off your plate so you can 
hand these detailed statements of work to your contractors. None of that panned out, but my friend Dane called me and just wanted to talk about real estate. And when he asked to meet up, I told my girlfriend, I said, Hannah, I think we might have to buy a timeshare or something after this. I don't know what's going on, (laughs) but he's just a super nice, genuine guy. We just both love talking about real estate. He actually retired at 28 full-time self-managing his own properties. He's extremely smart in that that regards. Um, And from there, he just kind of checked up every couple of weeks. He just like, Hey, Charlie, how's it going? You find any good deals, any places you want to go look at anything you're excited to talk about. And from there, we just sort of be friends, hang out more and more. And actually through him, I met all my other kind of MVPs, the parts yeah. of your team, right? So he introduced me to the two agents and investors who sold me the pit, which, <laughs> which that wasn't a good deal, but it kind of was because it, it helped me so much in my career and introduced me to them their whole network of contractors. And then he introduced me to the wholesaler that sold me the live and flip I'm in now, which has turned out to be a fantastic deal. So, I mean, he just really kind of opened the door for me in in Lexington. He's just a great friend too. So, yeah. You know, sometimes that first deal, going back to the pit for a little bit, but sometimes that first deal isn't about the money. You know, maybe sometimes that first deal is more about the lessons learned that you're going to carry throughout your real estate career. And if you can make it past maybe those first lessons and learn from them and apply them to your real estate investing, that's usually what makes the difference between successful investors and those who quit, right? Because many times I hear people that are five, six, seven, 10 units in they're like, that first one wasn't a home run for me. That first one is all lessons. And we don't want to call them mistakes or, 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 or money mistakes, but that's what they are. And then we take those, but we learn from them and we make them into actionable, applicable steps going forward to where now you're not going to make those mistakes. And now those lessons learned are actually making you money because now you're more advanced in your career of uh, investing in real estate. Now you know to budget for a bathroom. Now you know what it costs to do flooring. <laughs> so like those, those we should rename them not mistakes, but lessons learned. And I think that sometimes goes back to um, you know, maybe what we learned in school where mistakes are bad, but in real estate mistakes, if you take them the right way, then, you know, they're, they're lessons learned and they will make you money because you're not going to make those mistakes again. Now, regarding your MVP, what kind of value add did you add to him and how did that relationship become genuine? Honestly, I, I really don't know what he saw in me in the beginning. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I mean, I did, um, I mean, he's just a really outgoing, nice guy. I think he, but I just I'm like, oh, I think this guy might be hard to hang out with. And he, you know, he kind of recently retired. So he's just had time on his hands to, to, I guess, take me on as a pet project. But it was really just him following up. Was like, how's it going? You know, I want to talk through anything. And we just, we just talk and talk and talk. And I think what's worked out now is that we've kind of both moved on in our investing careers is now I'm at, I'm at a point because they, my friends helped me so much that I'm going out on my own and learning new things, meeting new contractors, learning about new creative ways to finance and find deals. That's kind of this really great free exchange of, oh, here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I'm learning about now. And we'll kind of just go back and forth on, oh, I think that's great. I think that'll work. Or like, no, I think that's really dumb. That's not going to work. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's that whole mentor, mentee thing. I think it's just... Kind of like dating. I mean, you got to take a chance, meet people, just talk, see if it, you guys just get along as people before it, 
the whole investor thing comes into play and, and kind of just go from there. I'm sure that he also noticed when you first posted in that Facebook group that you weren't just asking for help, that you were willing to give someone else help in return. I'm sure that made like a big impact on, okay, this guy is just not looking to leech off someone to figure out what to do and get all their help. He's willing to give in return. And I think that's how a lot of mentees and mentors get started. We had someone on here Felipe, maybe you remember, who would fly out to their mentor when they had a question or something. They would fly to them to, you know, do it in person and take that initiative instead of constantly calling them or or stuff like that. But I think it's great that you guys have become friends and are continuing to build that, you know, mentor-mentee relationship. And is there one little tiny piece of advice quick before we move on to the next segment that you could tell someone one little thing, how they could find a mentor like that, or what would be a recommendation? Yes. Yes. Uh, you got to find that thing that the people don't like to do. Like for me, which I know it's kind of talking to a lot of my real estate buddies around here. It's, we all hate doing it. It's finding good contractors. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, that golden goose that golden egg of if right. you can find this great contractor you're you're going to make it but the process to do that is a total pain in the butt right you have to call a ton of people and ask them all these questions and if i had to go back again i mean i did things backwards i just i bought a hole in the ground and then figured it out from there but going back it's really kind of free to find those contractors you have to make a lot of phone calls and ask a lot of questions but once you go through that process you'll have a really good idea of what's going on. So if you're brand new and want to find a, like a mentor or someone to work with, one thing I don't like to do is, is find those contractors. It's tedious, it takes a long time. So if you want to take on that role and say, hey, um, Charlie or someone else, I know you don't might not like to do this. I'd love to call all these contractors. I put a list of 12 electricians together. I'll call them for you and, and schedule the, uh, the walkthroughs and things to go through with them. So I can, you know, it's zero risk for me because I'm just calling and setting up appointments to help you manage the renovation. And that's a huge time saver for someone that's like, oh, I I want, like, I'm interested in looking at deals and finding more financing. I don't want to have to find the best electrician. Someone that's brand new that has time and not money or the know-how yet can just go through and say, I'm going to call every electrician, every plumber, every general contractor. And it's, I, I, get super nervous on the phone. But after the first one or two conversations, you get really comfortable and you start to learn the lingo. Like when I was calling banks, I said, hey, uh, do you have construction loans? And they'd say, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, construct something? (laughs) Yeah. But having those conversations, you 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 have one and you go, oh, I feel really dumb, but I learned these four things. Call the next bank. Hey, uh, what's your draw period like? How does this work, this stuff from the first conversation? So if you're brand new, calling an electrician, like, how much does a switch cost? I don't know what I want to do. But they'll start asking you questions. Just doing those walkthroughs with them, you'll learn so much. Like I've been doing it with electricians. I'm having such a hard time finding an electrician right now. And I've done five walkthroughs already. And it's amazing the stuff I know about electrical work. By the end of it, by the time I find one, I'll be able to do it myself. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys. Now you have it. You can you can you can learn from Ashley by finding her a great electrician. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny though, Charlie, because I uh, you know I agree with you a hundred percent. A lot of the times, 
you know, mentees will, or, or someone looking for a mentor will, will say, how can I add value to you? How can I come help you? I want to learn from you. How do I do that? And you're just creating work for, you know, Ashley or me or, or someone else. You're creating more work. Now I got to find you something to do. But like you said, everyone hates finding contractors. Everyone hates doing <laughs> the little stuff. And if you want to tag along and rub elbows with your mentors, you know, like you said, bring them a list of 12 electricians and say, hey, if you don't got one, I'm going to call all these for you and I'll set up a meeting for you if you want. Right. And, and I'll get you some quotes. And, uh, and, and in return, I'd love if you kind of let me see the process of the, and, and now you know how to find a good electrician for when you're going to do it. Right. So use someone else's experiences for you to learn as well. Right. So I think that's perfect advice, Charlie. Thanks for sharing that to anyone that wants to find a good mentor that's doing, you know, if you want to find a good mentor in construction, go find that mentor and find what he hates and, or she hates and fix that issue for them without asking them, what can I do for you? Because now I'm having to look for something for you to do. And that's not how that works. If you can come to me with a solution to a problem, you know, I have, we we're in business. I'm going to keep you on. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's awesome. Charlie, uh, let's move on to the rookie request line. Let's take a question from our rookie request line. You can reach us anytime. one 885 rookie to leave a voicemail and we might use yours on the next show. Okay. Are you ready, Charlie? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, my name is Paris. I'm from Saginaw, Michigan, and uh, I'm really interested in house hacking single family residences. My biggest question though is that once I move out and replace myself with another tenant, how would you recommend handling the utilities? Should that be something that I pay or something that the tenant handles? Thank you. Oh, that's a good one. So for me, uh, I didn't know how to do that either. And I hired a property manager. So it was extremely easy. I just said, hey, property manager, here the utilities, can you take them over? And uh, if you're looking for a good property manager, a good one will say, absolutely, just send me some information. Or actually, I didn't have to send me information. They just, you know, the property address, they call and they get switched over to the property management company's name, which, you know, headache removed for me, right? And then in between tenants, they would switch it back to the property management company. I'd get billed back for that time in between, which is hopefully very, very short. And then they'd handle getting them switched over to the tenant after. Definitely, definitely, definitely would recommend not including utilities and rent. It just opens the door for sucking all your cash flow out. AC I mean, units a, in every single window. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, even in the house I live in now, it drives my girlfriend crazy. Uh, I set the house temperature at like 68 degrees, but I have a little space heater for my feet under my desk. So like... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you're the landlord versus tenant, make the tenant pay for that, you know? So, and what about yeah, when I, there aren't separate meters? So, you know, the first house that you had where you had your friend and girlfriend living there, did you charge them anything for utilities or did you cover utilities then? For that, we just did a straight, straight split. So there's okay. three of us. We took it divided by three. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay, let's move on to our fun questions. These are kind of random questions that we came up with a list and we keep adding to them each week mm -hmm. or sometimes just make up our own. So I'll take the first one. What real estate investment tool or piece of technology can you not live without? Ooh, 
I like Man, to throw that's... a hardball question here. Yeah, this is good. I mean, dude, I, I use my notebook every day. Like that's what I, I do. Say, all... I was gonna say your answer would be Google Docs or Google Spreadsheets. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, definitely Google Spreadsheets. That yeah. I mean, that's really it. I yeah. use Google Google Spreadsheet, my cell phone, which I can pull that stuff up on, and then yeah. honestly, I manage the day to day in my pen and paper notebook. But I uh, just keep it simple. I think new people try and overcomplicate things sometimes and say like, oh, I need the best property management app. I need the best uh, CRM tool. I need all, but I mean, if you're starting from zero, I mean, just start with your phone and a piece of paper and spreadsheet. Uh, As you go along, you'll learn what those pain points are. Like it'll be very apparent what the limitations of your current technology is. And then you can use that to really pick what's right later on. But for me, spreadsheets work fine for now. That's, That's awesome, Charlie. I, I still just same thing, Excel sheets and, and like basically my phone. I mean, I, yeah. the piece of technology, uh, I'd answer that question with my phone, <laughs> but yeah. um, let me ask you this question. So what is the one thing that you would tell our audience to do today? What's an actionable step that, that you would even tell yourself right before you got started? Like do this to get started. You know, what's, what's an actionable step that our listeners can take? Call an agent and go see a house. You can, you pick the worst agent in your area and they'll still be able to give you MLS access and you can set an, an appointment to go see a house. I spent a year just in education mode, reading books, listening to podcasts, reading blog posts before I went to go see my first house. And my mind was just blown. When I saw that first house, it had termite damage. It was run down and needed all this work. But that was my first experience seeing what a distressed property is. I had heard about it and everything, but I've never seen one. And I think just going to see that really opened me up to, all right, this is what I'm getting myself into. And then from there, you know, that's the first step. Do that today. Call an agent. You can pick the worst one in your area. Go see a house. And every house you see, there's still things I go in and see. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I have no clue how to fix it. I can barely even define the problem. But now, you know, search YouTube, how to fix this, search the blog post, how to fix this, ask my friends how to fix this. And you start building this catalog of knowledge that you can learn and apply the next one you see, and the next one you see, and the next one you see. That's a great tip. And you had talked about earlier is going with other investors to look at properties, take along. I feel like some people are worried about wasting realtors time, which you don't want to do if you're not exactly ready to buy right now, but you want to start learning more is tag along with other investors and do just that. Go see the properties, go look at the houses. That was a great tip. Okay. The question I want to ask is what do your family members think of your real estate investing? Because I'm very curious to know, <laughs> does your dad say, I told you so now? <laughs> oh man, I think they think I'm nuts. But <laughs> I think in the, in the beginning, for my that first house I lived in, renovated and rented out, mm-hmm. they understood. They understood that, and I was in a very committed, serious relationship. They understood that I wanted to keep it as a rental. I think they thought I was going to stop there. Yeah, yeah. But when I started talking to them, I said, "Oh, I'm going to go buy a house for free," and they, my mom was like, "What are you talking about?" The, the whole Burr method. Yeah. And they're just like, "Be careful." I don't know. I don't know. So I think. For 2019, I think they were really worried because you know they want to make sure I don't get in over my head and and lose everything and lose my shirt and all that kind of stuff. But now that I've 
kind of moved on and progressed and shown I can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've done it. I can do it. I think they're a lot more comfortable with it now. I think they still go, just be careful, be careful, but they're much more comfortable with it now. But yeah, I think a lot of people think I'm nuts for, for trying to do it. I think it's impressive, man, because you're learning a lot of the lessons at the beginning and not, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. You're still allowing yourself to mold into this real estate entrepreneur going forward. So I think I actually think it's great. Let me ask you my next question, though. So what is something in your real estate investing so far that you put a lot of effort into but didn't get much of a result? And then answer the opposite. What's something that you didn't put a lot of effort into but got a huge return? A lot of effort, no return. Little effort, a lot of return. Oh, man, this is a good one. I'll let you think about it. I'll tell you what. I'll ask Ashley yeah. the same question. Let's make it fun. Okay. Ashley, you go first. <laughs> what is something that you that you that you didn't put a lot of effort into but got a big return? I would have to say so I there was this guy that was selling this portfolio of properties and at the time I bought some of them but I couldn't afford all of them. So there was like one four unit commercial property that I really wanted but like it was not a great commercial property area that I wouldn't have no idea what to put in that. So two years later, I ended up purchasing it and I had done nothing in between those two years to try to figure out how to finance it, you know, even talk to the guy anymore. After those two years, they actually approached me to see if I would buy it. The original asking price was 90,000 and I got it for 20,000. Just, I was waited those two years and I put no effort into trying to get him to sell to me or like proving that he needs to decrease the price or trying to find money to buy it. So I would have to say that. That's really good. I'll answer the question as well. I think for me, it's building relationships to build relationships, not to find to get something out of them. And those have been the relationships that I've got the biggest return on, where I've genuinely just wanted to make a friendship with a real estate investor. And then later we went on to making some great deals. So that that would be for me. Not a lot of effort, just genuine effort and gotten huge returns on that. I'll kind of cop out with a lot of effort, little return. The pit project, I mean, I put so much heart and soul and cash into that. And I, I think on the 15th, I get my first like revenue line item for that property. So for nine months, I've made like absolutely nothing on that. So money-wise, that's the one I put a lot of work in for no monetary return. On the other side, what I've put very little effort into that turned to a huge return is the deal I'm in right now. Um, through going through things, I love talking about real estate. I love telling people this is my side gig. I love it. Here's what I love to do and transform homes, this, that, and the other. And my girlfriend mentioned it to her coworkers. One of her coworkers wanted to move and she wanted to sell her house and she didn't want to deal with having to list it. She wanted to be out quick. She didn't want to deal with any of the repairs or deferred maintenance. So Hannah just said, oh, Charlie buys houses. He can come take a look. And went and took a look, uh, asked the a closing attorney for a, an offer sheet, talked to her on the phone, signed it, drove it over. She signed it. Done. Easy. <laughs> yeah. it, and the purchase price was 146 The as-is appraisal came in at 155 So I had nice. instant wow. equity yeah. from day one. 
Those are the perfect deals and you don't even have to do anything <laughs> and get <Yeah>. instant equity. <laughs> okay. So for our last question, it's a little bit of rookie hazing. Felipe will help you out on this story, but um, what is your guilty pleasure song? And can you sing a little bit of it for us? Okay. So to turn the tables, I've prepared on the hazing part. I've prepared my <laughs> three-hour Gregorian chant. <laughs> no, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm the master at learning three words of a song and then humming the rest. Yeah. But well, let's hear I mean, your best humming. <laughs> no, I mean, what you want to love Katy Perry is so much fun. I mean, she's my favorite halftime show ever. Her music is so great, and I love her song "Firework." So you just got to ignite the light and let it shine and own yeah. the, night, <laughs> the night like the 4th of, of July. July. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Good job, Charlie. I love that. That's too much of a high note for me to hit to pitch it. <laughs> oh, you hear my voice. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Charlie. And can you let everyone know where they can get in touch with you or find out some more information about you? Sure. So if you want to reach out with a specific question or anything, uh, hit me up over email. Best one to use is uh, I, I started a scholarship foundation a, a while back. I have an email set up for that. So I'll just use it for this. It's charlie, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, at mu, M-U, hexaton, H-E-X-A-T-O-N scholarship.org. Uh, and then I started a YouTube channel called Charlie's Pockets, uh, <laughs> where I kind of walk through the day-to-day of a project. And my goal for that is to show kind of how boring real estate really is. I mean, most of the time you go to a property, you look around, you say, I got to fix these five things and call a contractor. So I'm just kind of trying to document more for myself, really just hear the mistakes and the unknowns that came up and here's what I'm doing to fix them. Um, so if you want to see my current project, it's it's up on Charlie's Pockets on YouTube. I'm going to check that out today. So there might be a new video <laughs> tonight so or tomorrow. So. You are a real estate investor. You have a full-time job. You have a scholarship fund. And you have a YouTube channel. Is there anything else going on <laughs> that you need to tell us about? <laughs> because I, I, I love hitting this point is that you don't have to you know, do real estate full-time and that's your only thing and your only focus. You can do this with other stuff going on and that's the great thing. And how you just said that real estate, like your videos can be boring because you're, you know, you're just doing these little things, but the more passive you get, I think the better. And that does really make it more boring because you're not doing anything and that cash flow is just coming in. But thank you so much uh, for joining us today. I am Ashley Kerr, and he's Felipe Mejia. You can find us on Instagram at Wealth From Rentals and at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. Thanks for listening. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.